Good morning. Good to see you guys. You guys look great today. And thank you for engaging God in worship this morning. That was amazing. All right. Uh, we're going to be looking today at Matthew uh, chapter 11. And uh, before we get there, though, um, today's Palm Sunday. Did you guys know that? And, and I know we don't have any palm fronds, you know, like stapled all over the church. Usually we do. Um, anyway, we're too busy building sets, I guess. Um, but it's Palm Sunday. And this day is, uh, this is the, the day that Jesus enters into Jerusalem. The, the capital, the, the, the royal city, the holy city, okay? So this is a, this is a big deal. This is a, a milestone in his, in his ministry. He, he enters into the holy city. And it's, it's very significant because he chooses to come in on a donkey. He divines to have a donkey ready for him, and so he enters into the holy city on a beast of burden. It's a symbol of peace. I mean, he could have easily have come in on the black stallion, right? But he chose to come in on a beast of burden. Now, here's the contrasting part. As he comes into the holy city, um, people, everyday, normal citizens... Are, are anticipating him. They've heard all the stories. They've heard all the rumors. They're excited about this. They're, they're so excited about it that, that they, they give him a military welcome. So he comes in on a beast of burden and he gets a military welcome. The, the palm fronds, is a, it's, it's, a, it's a symbol of a, of, a, of a Jewish triumph. I mean, you guys have all seen the old movies with... Uh, you know, Caesar, Julius Caesar, and, you know, Cleopatra and all this kind of stuff, where they have these big, you know, military triumphs where they come into Rome and they throw the flowers down and, and they, give, they give Caesar all the glory. Well, the same type of thing happened in, in Israel, and they did it with palm fronds, and they, they took, you know, their coats and their fine clothes, and they threw it out in front of Jesus so he could walk on it. And they gave him a military victory welcome. And they began to prepare Jesus coming into the holy city because they, they hoped, they had a deep down desire that he was Messiah, that he was going to rescue them, that he was going to save them, he was going to depose uh, the, the Romans and that he was going to reform the religion of the time. So they were very excited because these people were disconnected from the religion and they were disconnected from the government. They were being oppressed and they knew it. They said something. They shouted something. They heralded something, much like uh, John the Baptist did in the desert. They said, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna roughly translates into save us. Praise save is what it means. Praise you, save us. Praise you, save us. And they kept on chanting this over and over and over again. Hosanna, save us. They knew something was wrong. They knew something was wrong not only with their government, not only with their religion, but they knew that there was something that was wrong with them. They were broken inside. And somehow they didn't quite understand it, but they thought that he was the answer. They were looking for a revolution, but that's not what Jesus was bringing in. 
That's not what he was being prepared for. He was being prepared not for a revolution, but for a revival. Spiritual revolution, if you will, but not what they were anticipating because we know that these same people that were shouting, Hosanna, save us, O great Savior, Messiah, leader. Well, they, a week later, they, they nailed him to a cross and they bolted. They're out of there. It wasn't the revolution that they were wanting. It wasn't, they wanted, they wanted Lenin. They wanted Marx. And we, you know, we have a, a desire for that type of, of, a, of a revolution where, you know, the, the, the system is changed. They wanted the system changed. And, and if Jesus would have came in like a Lenin, um, he wouldn't have been alone on the cross with his mother and John. They would have rallied in the streets for him. They would have saved him. They would have fought for him. They would have died. They would have died for the cause. But that's not what it was about. He wasn't a Lenin. Actually, we teach um, higher criticism and, and theology. We actually teach social gospel. Social gospel is basically Jesus was, he was the forerunner of, um, he was the forerunner of Marxist and Lenin theology, or, you know, philosophies. That Jesus came to set, you know, the poor free, to, to put everybody on equal ground. Yes, that is true. But Jesus didn't come for social reasons only. He came for your soul. He came specifically to usher in the kingdom of heaven. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. As people began to prepare, they were preparing for something that they didn't realize. And uh, we're going to be preparing for a holy day, the greatest celebration of the Christian faith coming up. And uh, let's prepare for that, okay? All right, um, first thing on your outline. Spiritually prepared people Repent. Uh, this has been a, the repentance has been a, is a theme that we've been covering quite a bit in our church lately. And it, it, repentance is, isn't just a, oops, I'm sorry, I messed up, I did something wrong, and I, and I feel bad about it. Repentance is actually changing the way that you think. It's that, that's what it really literally means. It is turning from your, your sin or your mess up or, or your thought pattern, turning from that thought pattern and turning towards God, changing the way that you think, the way that you act, your very, you know, your very brokenness, changing that into a kingdom perspective. And it's difficult to do. When Jesus enters into Jerusalem, he... Uh, uh, John the Baptist prepared the way because he preached a message of repentance. He's t- he told the whole community, you need to repent. You need to, you need to change the way you think. I am preparing the way for the Lord to come. And he was after two major mindsets. There are two major mindsets that, not, that John and Jesus went after. And, and they were, uh, well, I'll, I'll define them. But it was the mindset of the Sadducees and it was the mindset of the Pharisees. The Sadducees were the, the religious elite of the time. They were philosophers. They were, they were so smart that um, they kind of figured out that there was no God. I mean, these are, these are Jewish scholars. These are rabbis and stuff. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. That was it. You die, you're, you're, you're worm food. 
There's no life after death is what they believe. You just kind of, you just dissipate into the ground. You become one with nature. That's your lot in life. And they, it's not true, obviously. But this is, this, is, this is the philosophy and the religion that they were practicing, that they were teaching. It was, ex, it was an extremely liberal idea. It's all relative, folks. Everything is an illusion. That nothing is real. Uh, truth is relative. This, let's just make it up as we go along, but we've got these social structures and this is what we're going to, for, but there is no life after death. That's it. We can give you a little bit of hope here. Great. But what they were doing, they were so disconnected from the people. They, they, they lost touch of the world. They're up in their ivory tower for so long that they lost track of what the world was really like. And then in contrast to this very liberal way of looking at the world was the Pharisees. And the Pharisees actually loved the word of God. They, they digested it. They hung on every word of it. They were so consumed. They memorized the Bible. They knew it well. Maybe you know people like this that know the Bible on like the back of their hand. They can, they can quote scripture right off the top of their head. All the references and everything. And they lived their life according to Torah, according to the law. And they had it down, and they were really good at it. And uh, they expected everybody else to be really good at it, too. And that was kind of the problem. They put huge expectations on the people, and they, 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 lost, they lost an intimate connection with everybody. Because it was unattainable. Because what they were throwing out, what they were putting on people, I mean, it was so much law, so many rules, so many ways of doing things that it was, you couldn't bear the burden. You just couldn't bear the burden. Oops, I thought a negative thought. I am going to hell. That, that's the kind of thing. And so they disconnected. And Jesus comes in, comes into the holy city, and he's... He chooses both of these groups off, both of these mindsets. And then we have, uh, we have an occasion of strange bedfellows. All of a sudden, these, these two groups that, that absolutely hated each other, they got in bed together and they killed Jesus. When he comes into the holy city, when they prepared his way in, it was a knock-down, drag-out fight. Jesus, our, our sweet little passive Jesus, went, through, went for the jugular and he ripped it out of both of them. And they killed him for it. He asked too many questions. He pointed out too many truths. And he was trying to get them into a repentant lifestyle. And they were both so hard-hearted that they couldn't bring themselves to repent and to turn towards a loving God. They were steeped into what they thought was true. So repentance... Turning away. Acts uh, chapter 3, verse 19. This is in your bulletins. And this is, we actually went over this, this scripture on our Wednesday night class on, on Acts. And it, it, it's, a, it's an important verse. And we really unpacked it on Wednesday. It was good. Uh, you can still jump in on Wednesday nights. You've missed all the amazing chapters already. So No, I'm just kidding. There's much more to come. So you haven't missed out. You can jump in anytime. Uh, Acts Chapter 3, verse 19. Repent 
then and turn to God. Okay, I just talked about that turning to God. So that your sins may be wiped out. Your sins may be wiped out. And he, 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 Jesus gets the, gets the Pharisees on this one quite a bit. He says, you guys, you guys look good on the outside. You're a clean cup on the outside, but inside you're dirty. You are a, you're a whitewashed tomb, but inside there's dead bones and every kind of filth imaginable. You're putting on a fake front. You're, 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 you're hypocrites. And when, when Jesus comes in, and when he forgives us of our sins, they're wiped out. They're not buried. They're not covered up. They're not put in a box. They're not hidden. They're wiped out. Now, again, I have a six-year-old daughter. I hate using my daughter for illustrations, but this is my life, right? This is, it revolves around a six-year-old. And um, so we do homework with her quite a bit, and she still makes a lot of mistakes. She's learning how to write and do sentences and and so she makes a lot of mistakes, and so we have to erase. With the, or the erasers are wearing off on the pencils, okay? And uh, whenever we erase one of Sophia's mistakes, there's always something left. Either there's a trace of the carbon from the pencil, or there's a really deep, because my, my daughter tends to, to write like this, so you know how you have to go like this, and you know, but, you know, she, she, she pushes really hard. And so there's always a mark left. There's always some type of a scar on the paper, there's always some indication that there was a mistake made. You can see it. And in Acts, what Luke is saying, he says, your sins are wiped out. He doesn't say that they're erased. There's a difference. The actual Greek that we delved into is that your sins are obliterated as if they never existed. It's like Marty McFly from Back to the Future. They never were. Do you guys get that reference, please? I mean, <laughs> help me out. You know, remember when he started disappearing, he never was, right? Your sins never existed. Once, if we do this right, if we accept the forgiveness of sins the way Jesus planned, our sins don't exist. Obliterated. The scriptures tell us that God forgot about them. And we should too. If God has forgotten about your sin, why don't you forget about your sin? Why do we keep on revisiting stuff in our mind? There's only one case where we're really allowed to do that, and we'll get to that in a second. But we, we live in our past. We, 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 just, we, can't, we seem to get stuck in that guilt-shame thing where we want to review what we did in our past, and what Jesus is saying is, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you just, you're just like making up stories now because that never happened. And that is how he's called us to live. This is true repentance where our sins are obliterated. Luke goes on to say that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You guys need to be refreshed? You need that time of refreshing? It's coming. It's coming. And there's some clues on how to get to that in this. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 14, NIV. This is great. Uh, to make you feel good about yourself. Um, 
It will break into pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly, that among its pieces not a fragment will be found for taking coals from the hearth or scooping water out of a cistern. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest, underline that, in repentance and rest is your salvation. Like if you've gone through this, I blew it and I need to repent, and if you're not finding a relief, a relaxation, if you're not finding rest in your confessions, you're just sorry for your sin. You haven't repented yet. Salvation comes when, when you're set free from that and there's no more bondage from what you did. You get a rest. You get a relief. That's how you know that you have done repentance right. You, the anxiety falls off you. The stress will fall off you. The guilt falls off you. If you're still dealing with guilt, you haven't repented right. All right, another thing that we have to do, spiritually prepared people do, this is great, uh, is that you have to get to be forceful. All right, do I have any brave souls that will read out loud, really loud? All right. Okay, AJ, can you word uh, Matthew? Tell you what, uh, Matthew chapter 10, go. Yeah. Yeah, chapter 10, and we're going to go through 12. Hey, AJ, I might have give you the wrong address. Uh, chapter 11. Did I say 11? I said 10. All right, I gave you the wrong address. It's not your fault. Chapter 11. I'm sorry. <laughs> chapter 11. I, ha I, I have a mild form of dyslexia, folks. Chapter 11, verse 10. Sorry. All right, that's good. Thank you, AJ. That's not the version I wanted. All right, you know, we're just going to move on. But it's, that's the version I have. Good job. you got the Bible I've got. Uh, some of it, okay, you have other versions, right? Some versions are going to say the kingdom of heaven is one of violence, and violent men take hold of it, right? Somebody say it? Does people have Bibles that say it like that? Subjected. All right. Subjected with violence. All right. That's the one I was getting after. Most Bibles will say the kingdom of heaven is one of violence and violent men take it or invade it. 
And that's the, that's the idea. Uh, I like my translation and AJ's translation a little bit better because I think it describes it. Now, me, real quick, let me just touch on John the Baptist. It says John the Baptist was the greatest man ever born of woman. Wow. But he's nothing, he's the least in the kingdom of heaven. Why is that? I mean, we do messages on, you know, the humility and, you know, the first shall become last and the last shall become first. But see, John the Baptist didn't have what we have. He, he, is, he is the greatest because in John the Baptist was the culmination of all the prophets, of all the teachers and the sages and the law. He embodied it all and he made a way for Christ. He's the one that introduced the concept of repents for the time of the Lord is at hand. But he doesn't, he doesn't have what you and I have. He has an Old Testament revelation. We have the new covenant of the New Testament. He didn't have the opportunity to see the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ. And he, doesn't, he didn't have the opportunity to have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we have. So therefore, because of that, we are greater than he is. That, that's, that's an amazing thought to think about. But this idea, okay, so Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven is one of violence and forceful men take it. And what's this mean? Is this, I thought our, our sweet Jesus was one of peace and passivity and, and now he's calling for jihad. What, what's, help me out here, Josh. kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing. It's forcefully advancing. John the Baptist knew this. He was a key part in playing that. There, when, you, when you enter in the Christian life, in the spiritual life, there's something called spiritual warfare. It is, it is not fun, but can be extremely rewarding when you win. But spiritual warfare is a part of the Christian life. When Jesus calls you, when, when the Holy Spirit draws you into his, his presence, um, you, you know, you're, you're like the, the, the broken pot where it's just, you know, you're a form and, and you've just been shattered and you've been broken. And Jesus brings you in and begins to put you together. And he's, it's a nurturing spirit. The Holy Spirit is a counselor. And he, it, he's a good parent. He begins to put you back together and there's this loving embrace. And after he fixes you, he kicks you out of the nest. And this is the part that we don't necessarily like. The, the disciples, the, the apostles, they spent an incredible amount of intimate time sitting around the fire with Jesus, with their teacher, their instructor, their rabbi, and they're learning and they're taking in and they're, they're digesting everything. And he's comforting them and he's guiding them and he's ministering to them. And then he says, time to get out. Go to Samaria. Go to the ends of the world. So he brings you in gently and then, and then he kicks you out. This is the Christian life. He, he, he wants you to forcefully advance the kingdom of heaven. So there's two things going on here. There's this, you have to expect spiritual warfare in your Christian life. But what he's saying is forceful men and women go after the kingdom of heaven. This is not a passive faith. 
Passivity is not allowed in your Christian walk. Again, he's going to draw you in. He's going to nurture you. But you have to do your part. You have to seek first the kingdom of God. In order for you to seek first the kingdom of God, you have to forcefully enter into the kingdom of heaven. You have to make your way in. God is, he's, at some point, he's going to quit happening to you and you are going to have to start happening in the kingdom of heaven. If you want the things, if you want the supernatural lifestyle that you so desire, that is transformative, that is transcendent, that is beyond this empirical life, you have to forcefully seek the kingdom of heaven and then all of these things will be added unto you. You have to go after the supernatural on your own. And God will be faithful following it up. All right, so. Once you've repented and you have had this renewed mind, you can begin to take charge and forcefully seek God and his kingdom. Next thing that we have to do is spiritually prepared people. This is going to be difficult for a lot of us. So we have to embrace mystery. We have to embrace the mystery of God and, of, and the deepness of Jesus, how the Holy Spirit works. And we're just not wired that way. You know, we always want to solve the mystery. And the beautiful thing about the Christian faith is that we have, we have the book. And the book is... It's going to tell us the nature of God. It's going to tell us enough about God to get us through this world. It's going, it's going to reveal him as much as we need to know. Because we're kind of on a need-to-know basis. But there, there's something that is, that is beyond what we think that we need. See, we want all the answers. We want to figure God out. This is why we build seminaries and this is why we go to church. This is why we go to Bible study and it's a good thing. We want to figure God out. But once we think that we have all the answers, once we think, okay, I I got Jesus figured out and I've got him put in the box. I know what he's like and I know what God's like and I know what the Holy Spirit's like. Then he comes in and he messes everything up. We have to be willing to embrace that God does what he pleases whenever he wants, and he can change the rules at any time. He is God. He is infinite. We can't, it's impossible for us to know everything that there is about God. Our minds can't handle it. This is as good as it's going to get. But Jesus is saying, he's saying, if you want to have a relationship with me, if you want to be in communion with me, you have to be willing to embrace mystery because you're not going to figure me out. Once you have figured out who Jesus is, unfortunately, that's not Jesus. You have just made a, a Jesus in your image, how you want him to be. You can't figure him out. Let's keep on reading on. I'll show you what I mean by this. Uh, verse 13. For all of the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. 
This is another, Mako did a whole college series on, you know, Jesus said what? And this is, you know, this is kind of one of those times, you know, where Jesus is promoting violence. What? Uh, You know, Jesus says that John the Baptist is the reincarnation of Elijah. What? What? Are you serious? He says, if you can accept it, John the Baptist is Elijah. Now, okay, for who is Elijah? Elijah was one of the great prophets in, in the northern kingdom of Israel. And, uh, you know, he, he fought the prophets of Baal and, 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 you know, had fire come down from heaven and consumed the altar. You know, he, he's the one that rode off in the chariots of fire. Uh, this is Elijah. But there was a very significant prophecy in, in Malachi that said, um, before the Messiah can come in, Elijah is going to come back. He's going to come back and he's going to usher in the glory of God. And so Jesus is saying, if you can accept it, John the Baptist is Elijah. He's ushering in me. And, and, and again, this is, they're like, you said what? They, they knew exactly what he was saying. And, and it's like, okay, really, Josh? So John the Baptist is the incarnation of, of, of Elijah? No, no, I'm not saying that at all. And what the commentators say and what I believe is that Elijah represented everything that was prophetic in the Old Testament, including Elijah, and he held that office, that spiritual office of Elijah. But it was a mystery. And he, Jesus is asking them to put faith into something that didn't make sense, that they couldn't figure out on our own. And he will do that to you too. Well, I got to have answers. I'm analytical. I got to have all the facts. And Jesus says, no, you don't. You're on a need-to-know basis, and you don't need to know right now. You just need to put your faith and trust in me, and you need to delve into the mystery of who I am. You see... Uh, revelation comes on us. A lot of us have had religious experiences where we felt the presence of God. We felt an empowerment and a moving, and we, we, we transformed. We got saved, and God did something. We felt that. We felt, we felt that redemption and lift, and we felt God's presence on us. But in order for us to embrace the mystery of God, that happens in the dark, quiet places of the soul the dark night of the soul. And a lot of us are feeling alone and afraid and we don't feel God's presence anymore. We don't feel the excitement that we once had and we think that he's left us or we think that it was all an illusion or we think that it was fake. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus is in those dark places. You don't feel him. You don't see him. You don't see anything working in your life but he's there in those dark places. And in order to embrace him, you have to embrace mystery. He can minister to you in those places. Then everything comes to light. It all makes sense after that. All right. How do we do it? How do we, what are some things that we can do in order to prepare our way, prepare our hearts, prepare our lives for Holy Day? For you know, Every day should be Holy Day, right? How do we prepare our lives? 
several things that we can do. First thing that we can do is we have to get our house in order. We did a whole series on, you know, the best is yet to come and how to get there. Super practical stuff on, you know, getting your life shaped up, you know. Biblical, practical principles on what to do to transform your life. One of the most annoying things that I have read lately uh, was the most spiritual thing that you can do in your life right now is to go into the kitchen and do the dishes. And I'm like, what? That's not spiritual at all. I, I need to go meditate and go to church and sing Kumbaya. And uh, it's not. There, there's no distinction between our spiritual life and our practical life. They're, they're one. We, we, we tend to put things in, into the right categories. But we, talk, we, did, we, we went with this whole idea of, okay, what are you going to do to get your house in order, to get your finances in order? What, what plans are you going to make? What's the vision for your life? What, what goals are you going to set? What tasks do you need to do this week? Okay, so these are the, we have to do these practical things because we know, and I know, that it's the little foxes that's going to derail the train. So we have to pay attention to the condition of our house. But it's, it's actually more than just that. See, we, in our society, um, we do have our, our church life. You've heard this, right? I have my church life, and then I have my work life, and then I have my home life, and then I have my social life. And so we begin to put everything into these different categories. But what we know about the Lord is that he just doesn't want to meet you here. He, he's out to meet with you in your house. And he's out to meet with you in your workplace and your social life. And you got to take church home with you. You really do. I even hate to use the word church. You have to take your spirituality home with you. And it has to be practically applied to your house. Uh, read with me in the Exodus um, 27, or 12, verse 7. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. What, what, this, is, this is the Passover meal. This is the Israelites who were kept in bondage and in slavery. In order for them to escape the death angel, they had to anoint their house with the blood of the lamb. And of course, this, this echoes what Christ does for us. But what I'm saying is that we need to take the experience that we have with the blood of Christ home and paint our houses with it. You need to prepare your house for the Lord. And that's, that's with his blood. You don't know, your religious experience, your, your, you know, this whatever God has given you lately, take it into your house. Purge your house of things that don't belong there. You gotta clean your house. Um, I don't have this on the screen. Matthew 23, verse 16. Now I'm gonna be reading this out of the message version because I think it comes off better says, you're hopeless. What 
arrogant stupidity. You say, if someone makes a promise with his fingers crossed, that's nothing. It doesn't really mean anything. But if he swears with a hand on the Bible, that's serious. What ignorance. Does the leather on the Bible carry more weight than the skin on your hands? And what about this piece of trivia? If you shake hands on a promise, that's nothing. But if you raise your hand, that God is your witness, now that's serious. What ridiculous hair splitting. What difference does it make whether you shake hands or raise hands? A promise is a promise. What difference does it make if your promise, uh, if you make your promise inside or outside the house of worship? A promise is a promise. God is present and watching and holding you accountable regardless. What's he saying here? We have sacred lives and, sa- and secular lives. Now, you know, remember when we were little kids and we'd try to get somebody to, to you know, to do something, and you say, well, you swear you'll do it? Yeah, I swear I'll do it. You know, you, you double swear I'll do it? Yeah, I double swear I'll do it. Will you swear on the Bible? And then all of a sudden, oh, no. Okay, now we mean business. We're swearing on the Bible. It's kind of like the same category as the triple dog dare. You can't, you can't deny the triple dog dare. And what Jesus is saying is there's no difference between your sacred life and your, secu- and, and your, and your secular life. Don't, don't worry about swearing on the Bible. It's, it's the same. Le- skin is skin. The leather on your Bible is the same as the skin on your hands. So, I mean, the, I know this to be true. I know that I have seen people really excited about God. They come and they worship God and they raise their hands and they're so engaged. They read their Bible and then they party. But it's like they have schizophrenia. I mean, it's like they're a different person altogether. And there is, and they even come to church and there's no conviction of sin. It's like, oh, that was my other person. That was my, that was my clone that committed that sin, not me. Right? And we're able to do this in our society now. We have two different lives. All right. So we have to get our house in order. There's no difference between your house and God's house. Next thing we need to do is you need to eat some soul food. Eat some soul food. Deuteronomy 16.3. Don't eat, don't eat it with bread made with yeast. All right, folks, what's the yeast symbolize? Sin. You know, quit eating sin. What, what, okay, don't eat bread with sin. Now, what are you feeding yourselves on right now? You feeding yourselves on the truth and the promises of God, or are you, you feeding yourselves on CNN or Fox News? All right, okay. I mean, I, you know, obviously, no one sins in here, but I mean, you can feed yourself on news, and I, it's great to be informed. But if you get a steady diet of news, you got to realize that they base their whole rating system on how negative they can be. And if all you're receiving is this negative influence of stuff, well, that's what you're feeding yourself on. It's going to make you sick. But for seven days, it's like we're doing the seven-day fast, right? It's like I planned this, right? All right. But for seven days, 
eat unleavened bread. If you feed yourself on stuff that doesn't have sin intertwined into it or doesn't have the world in it, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste so that all the days of your life you, will be, you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. Okay, remember when I said earlier that your sins have been completely obliterated, like out of existence? Okay, now this is the only time where you have the right to review your past. It is in Holy Communion. It is because you were once slaves to sin and God saved you and he set you free and you are now feeding off of him. Holy Communion is the only time where you can remember that is what he did for you. If you are remembering your sin and it's keeping you up at night, uh, it's not good. But if you could say, I once was like this and now I'm not and I'm going to partake of the elements. That's where freedom comes from. Soul food. When you begin to, to, to feed on the promises of God and you quit eating the bitter pill or you quit eating okay, um, our soulish areas of our life, our power, it's going to reside in our emotions and our abilities, our will, our makeup. And if we have had areas of addictions and of anger and of bitterness and of, of, of depression and things like this, um, those, are the, those are the soulish areas that we need to quit returning to. We need to quit re- returning to that trough of our past lives and begin to eat new. Those are the soulish areas. We need to get, begin to feed on Jesus. And last point is that we need to connect to God via prayer. Now, if you're like me, my prayer life isn't anything like it should be. And it's usually a, a series of, of me either rattling off things that I want or complaining about stuff. And um, that's usually my prayer life, right? And we are called to connect with God on a much deeper level than that. Ephesians 6, verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. You can do the prayer of request. You can do all kinds of prayer, but we have to learn, have to train, have to forcefully enter into praying in the Spirit on all occasions. If we're not praying in the Spirit, we're really not praying. We're just kind of griping. We're just kind of grumbling. We're just kind of, we're venting to God. I think there's a place for venting to God, but, it, but don't think that it's prayer. Because prayer is empowered by the Holy Spirit and it comes through you. And this is the prayer life. This is the powerful prayer life that I'm after and that I hope our church is after. And when we begin to pray, pray in the Spirit. Pray with, with, with groans that, that words can't utter. Know the, the language of God. That is how we are to pray. And how do you know if you're doing it right? 
So when you pray, it starts to become less about you, more about God, and interestingly enough, more about people. In order for us to truly know and love God, we have to truly know and love other people. And I know what you're saying, but Josh, I don't like people. And I know. I, it's hard. It's, de- it's, it's extremely hard to like people when people have definitely let you down. When there's heartbreak, when, when somebody has left you, when all your dreams are wrapped up into one person and they broke your heart, or they're not with us anymore. And it's, it's hard to have a heart for people when you've been let down. And so I'm not saying that you fake it, but what I am saying is you have to pray this way. God, give me a heart after you and give me a heart for your people. I want what you want. I want your heart, and I want a heart for people. And he will give it to you. And you might, but I, I mean... People scare me, and, and they're dirty, and they're messy, and they're sinners. God will give you a heart for them. Let's finish the rest of this verse. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. So you're praying in the Spirit. You're going to be praying for people if you're doing it right. All right, if I could have the band come on up to the front and the ushers. So spiritually prepared people, they, they have a repentant lifestyle. Forcefully enter in to the kingdom of heaven. Faith is not passive. You're actively going after God. You have to be willing to embrace the mysteries of God. You don't have to have all the answers. We didn't get all the answers. Get your house in order. Get your soul in order. Start feeding yourself on the right things. It will adjust your attitudes. And pray like you've never prayed before. Ask God to show you how to pray. Thank you, Father, for this day. God, we thank you for preparing our hearts. God, we thank you that there's a, there's a group of folks that, that are so curious about you, that are so in love with Jesus, your son, and what he's done, that, that they'll, they'll say, here's my life. God, I thank you that we have a group of people there that are willing to work through issues with other people because deep down inside, they want to love them. So God, I pray that you will turn our hearts more towards you, turn our affections towards you, turn our affections towards others. God, we ask for a supernatural breakthrough in everybody's life. God, anyone that is dealing with this, the pain, like they are in that dark place, like the warm fuzzies have worn off. And God, I pray that they would just embrace that mystery and that they will seek you in those dark places. God, I pray that those that are dealing with uh, the, the guilt of, of their past, God, I pray that you will, you will free them of that right now. The, the, their, their sin has been obliterated. It's gone. 
They don't, God forgot about it. God, help us to forget about our sin and move on. Help us to be honest with ourselves, God. God, I pray that you bless our offering, our return to you. For those of, that, are, that this is a difficult season financially, God, bless them. Bless them, God. God, be that, that supernatural provider for them today. We pray for breakthrough in their lives. Bless this offering, God, in your name.